East Meds West. This podcast explores Eastern and Western philosophies of medicine and life, where they collide or collaborate. Introducing your host, Dr. Carolyn Edelston. So welcome to episode three. I'm really excited today because the format changes and I get to introduce our first guest. All that a bit later. So today I've called the episode Destiny, Fate or Luck. And these are three fairly elusive concepts, aren't they, Carl, that I really want to explore today. Mm. So one of the things that comes into my mind, so many cliches come into my mind because my grandparents always used to say, by means of reassuring me as a child, oh, don't worry, you know, whatever's meant to be will just be, they would say, you know, and Kesara, Kesara comes to mind. So is it all just fate? Because my, my late departed grandparents would certainly have suggested that. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because I actually ended up going to the dictionary, which is a bit odd, but fate seems to be this very fixed thing, you know, as if we're, we're given it and it plays out in a very predictable way and it's a fateful seems quite a negative thing, doesn't it? Um, you know, it was it, that fateful day. When we talk about destiny... It's a close-run thing, isn't it? Fate, destiny. But my sense is that destiny is more upbeat, more positive. I don't know what you think about that, Carl. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. So again, harking back to my my relatives, um, you know, my my grandfather particularly would used to say, you know, he'd be looking through the newspaper at the you know death announcements, and he'd say, oh, Carl, you know, when your numbers up, your numbers up. So, so, so many cliches and quotes I've got from from my family. And yet, when you think of something like like des- destiny, is just such a more exciting word, because I think with the word destiny, when you say that to me, I think I might have the power to shape it a little bit, perhaps. And of course, you know that in popular uh, fiction and um, you know in, in romance, that that is true, isn't it? They were destined to meet in the romantic novel. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've stumbled across quite an interesting point. So. In um, a lot of Eastern philosophies, people talk about fate as a constitutional package that you arrive with. Certainly in Chinese medicine, you your constitution is absolutely determined by the age your parents were, their physical and mental health at the time of conception. So we all know people who are as strong as an ox, don't we, with these incredibly big constitutions that can eat rubbish, drink rubbish, abuse their bodies and they live till 97 and then then the slightly more delicate constitution that has to eat really well has to really do a lot of self-care to thrive i find that fascinating i'm thinking of uh, a film one of my favorite films uh, star wars where of course you know vader says you know it, it's your, it's your destiny and that word is played upon such a lot so so in the context of today's podcast then where are you going with this well I want to explore whether it really is fixed. So if fate or constitution is fixed by the what you're given at birth, is there an element of destiny or luck where we can actually change our fortune? So I'm interested in whether destiny or our constitution is malleable at all. Can we change it? So Chinese medicine would say yes, with attention to our individual constitution, we could change lifestyle, we could change the way we think, the way we eat, 
the way we move our bodies and enhance the constitution we've got. Okay, so on that specific point then, what does Western medicine say about the ability to be able to do that? This is fascinating, I think, anyway. Western medicine has this fairly new research called epigenetics. That's a word I'm not familiar with. What does it mean? (laughs) So we're all given our, again, constitutional package of DNA at, at conception, at the fusion of the egg and the sperm. Our genetic code is written and this doesn't change. However, it's now known that environment and emotions affect which genes are switched on or off. And this is the study of epigenetics. Now, this to me is mind-blowing. As I wake up tomorrow, I have the power to turn on and off little machines, if you like, inside my body. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, that then manifest into physical conditions. Goodness knows what power we have. We know how much power we have over our own healing, but you know this is actually now beginning to be scientifically studied and measured. So I think I think it's very exciting for the future, which brings me beautifully on to this concept of luck. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to my guest, Andy Nairn. And it was actually the title of his newly released book, Go Luck Yourself, that caught my attention. Andy's one of the founders of an international advertising agency called Lucky Generals, having by his own admission, I think, stumbled into advertising after qualifying with a degree in law from Edinburgh Uni. In 2021, Campaign named him the top brand strategist in the UK for the third time in a row, and Business Insider has also named him one of the top five creative people in world advertising. I'm really excited to welcome you, Andy, to what I know is going to be a really fascinating discussion. Thanks very much. I'm really excited to uh, be talking to you. So I'm going to start with asking you what triggered you to think so deeply about luck at this point in time, when it's seemingly such a taboo subject in the commercial world. Well, I think that was precisely what attracted me, the fact that we didn't talk about it. And particularly in my case, I mean, I've what I became aware of last year is that Obviously, I have an agency called Lucky Generals, but we had really just chosen that because we, we liked the name when we set it up um, sort of seven or eight years ago. It's a Napoleon quote. Um, you might know this. He, he, somebody asked him, what does he look for in his, uh, in his officers? And he sort of jokingly replied, just bring me Lucky Generals. In other words, he, di- he didn't really give it much thought either. Um, he wanted someone that could bring him results, I guess. But having sort of decided that was going to be our company name just because it, it was a nice little turn of phrase, we we never gave it much thought. And last year, I just became suddenly aware of how ridiculous that was, that I didn't really know the meaning of the name of my own <laughs> company. And, and in particular, I became aware that there's so many big issues in the world over the last 18 months that have seemingly touched on the issue of luck. So most obviously, there's the pandemic. I mean, we were all probably sitting at home feeling very unlucky last year. I know I was for certain um, parts of the year. Um, But then also other big issues like, you know, Black Lives Matter and Me Too were sort of making me increasingly conscious of how lucky I had been in other um, respects. So it just became it became fascinating to me to think that there was this force called luck that seemed to touch on a lot of big issues in society and that was at the heart of my company name. And I I didn't have a clue what it was all about. So I, I thought I should probably research it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And how? I mean, how do you start? It's such a vast topic, like luck. 
No, it, it is. It's huge. I mean, well, I, I really started with um, you know, there's there's lots of philosophical explanations, and you know, you can look at the the role of luck in science and in sport and other parts of life. What what particularly interested me was was two things. One, it's a cultural phenomenon. This, which I guess makes it. Um, very relevant to some of the things that you're interested in. You know, this is. I became very aware that actually, although it's a taboo in the West, and none of us ever talk about luck, and it, to the point that if I were to say that somebody was lucky, um, it would probably be considered something of an insult. Um, in the West, in, in the East, in other parts of the world, it's it's much more acceptable. In fact, it's a perfectly normal topic of conversation. So, so I, I, I thought that's odd. This thing is is only a taboo in the part of the world that I'm used to and then the other thing that fascinated me was that it's a historical thing so what I discovered was that really um, we were very comfortable talking about luck in the west as well until Victorian times and it was the Victorians that really turned against this idea they had this sense that um, that uh, all success was down to hard work um, and if you were rich that was because you'd worked hard and God had smiled on you and if you were poor you just hadn't tried hard enough and, and I thought that was quite a, a sort of an interesting um, historical sort of legacy that that infects a lot of our thinking in the West to this day and I think is increasingly I just feel is is is, um, is not you know just strictly not true and not helpful either. Presumably you had an idea of what luck was how you define it I'm, I'm interested in how that evolved through the book and, and how it's really changed the way you're looking at your life, business, how it's impacted you, really. Yes, and well, do you know what? I didn't really have much of an idea of what luck was. I think, like you, I probably had to, to look it up. And, and then I found that lots of there were lots of different sorts of luck. You know, you've already talked about fate and destiny. You know, other people might talk about, you know, inherited luck or blind luck. Um, and what I suppose I learned is that there's broadly there's lots of different types of luck um, but they can kind of be grouped into pure forms of luck where you something has happened to you that you can't really do very much about you might be born uh, with you know huge uh, hugely fortunate circumstances into a very wealthy family with lots of other advantages and and that's not that is luck that has happened to you if you like or it might be an act of god that has happened to you and then there's the sort of luck that you can change and you can alter uh, and that is sort of to some degree within your control and that's the sort of luck that i got interested in so my my sort of analogy would be it's a bit like a game of cards there's the sort of luck that occurs when your hand is dealt and you can't do anything with that that's just what you get given um, but then there is a skill that you can use to make the most of the cards that you've been dealt. Uh, and I found that fascinating both for individuals and also, you know, in my line of work as somebody who runs an ad agency, I found that very interesting for organisations. How could we stack the odds in our brand's favour? That's really interesting. So I see a parallel there when people talk about illness. So, mm. you know, certain people are dealt a pretty awful deck of cards as far as illness the the story of illness but I think the thing that gives me tremendous hope is those people that have that set of cards and go how can I play this the best way possible I either become this illness or I do this a different way 
And I think that's a really, really interesting parallel. And that bit we absolutely have control over, I believe, anyway. That, that's right. And I think, um, I mean, again, this is uh, an, an Eastern concept that I really like, which is that uh, the distinction between bad luck and good luck can actually be quite elusive. And there's a lovely story from China about uh, a man who had um, uh, a, a stallion and, and everyone in the village was congratulating him on how lucky he was. And he said, well, you know, who knows whether it's good luck or bad luck. Uh, and then the next day, the stallion ran away um, and everyone said, you know, how unlucky he was. And he said, well, let's just see who knows whether that's bad luck or good luck. Uh, and then the next day, the stallion came back with um, 12 mares. And again, everyone said how lucky he was. And he said, well, again, who knows whether that's good luck or bad luck. Uh, and then um, while uh, his son was riding the horse or one of the horses, he fell off. So again, everyone said how unlucky he was. And he said, well, again, who knows whether it's bad luck or good luck. And then finally, um, the emperor's army came through the village and conscripted all the young men for the army. But of course, the, f the farmer's son had a, a broken um, limb, so he couldn't go. And again, everyone said how lucky he was. And once again, he sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, well, who knows whether that's good luck or bad luck. And I, I love the sort of spirit of that, that often things that appear like bad luck at the time can actually turn out to be uh, quite powerful, beneficial forces in our life. And you, you have to try and frame them in a sort of a positive mindset it can make quite a big difference. That's a really powerful story, isn't it? And and I imagine hugely relevant to your line of work where I've heard you say in other interviews that sometimes something that seemingly to a client might be going very wrong becomes their strongest selling point. Yes, we do that a lot in advertising. You know, if you can, if you can find something that looks like a bad thing, maybe it's a, a flaw with the product and turn that into a positive, then people really like that because we... We kind of like our companies to have flaws, you know, like we like our characters in drama to have a, a sort of a flaw. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think of a, a good example that people probably might be familiar with is Guinness. Um, and if you're marketing Guinness, one of the biggest problems with that brand is that it takes ages to pour. I mean, that, that's a massive disadvantage, <laughs> isn't it? When you're, you know, you're, you're sort of trying to sell pints to people. But they did this brilliant thing where they, s they turned that on its head and said, no, that's actually a good thing because good things come to those who wait and all of a sudden instead of it becoming an annoying wait it became a beautiful moment of anticipation uh, and you know it led to some of the most famous advertising of the last 20 years so um, I, I think that's always a really interesting thing to to uh, research what are the bad things about the products what are the problems what are the complaints or the the jokes that people make about the product and see if you can turn them on their heads and, and turn that bad luck into good luck. Brilliant. So you're constantly looking outside the box. Do you find yourself processing at that kind of level all the time? Well, I what I find is that creative luck, you need to be working at all sorts of different levels all the time. Sometimes it can be quite intense and you might be quite focused on the task at hand, but, but actually often, you know, it's the old cliche that good luck occurs when you're least expecting it. And that's why um, the old uh, truisms about, you know, going uh, for a walk or having a shower or going around an art gallery or just shaking up your routine can be really helpful because it it just puts you in connection with other 
influences uh, that might be the key to unlocking the problem that you're facing. So I, I think the trick is actually not to work in on one level, but is to work on lots of different levels and, you know, sometimes, um, uh, you know, uh, throw in lots of different influences in your life. That's interesting. And I think in your company, am I right in saying that you're set up fairly differently in that you're not all in boxed little compartments and specialisms? You actually all come together and throw around ideas? Yes, we try to be really fluid, really, you know, lacking in hierarchy. I mean, I guess they, you know, if everyone's familiar with Mad Men, you will remember how hierarchical the traditional ad agencies uh, used to be. Um, and, you know, that's very much a thing of the past, or it certainly is for us. Um, and what we find is that, you know, you can, you can engineer that, you can deliberately structure your company and the way you work so that people from different disciplines are having conversations um, with each other and you know mixing with um, which e with each other um, and it's a lot of the time and this is a, obviously a difficulty at the moment when we're working remotely you know the best ideas come from those chance conversations you know it might be somebody who's not even working on the same brief as you but um, comes over for a chat about something else and looks over your shoulder and says oh that's interesting have you thought about this um, and you can as I say you can engineer that you can, I think this is the interesting thing about luck, you don't have to wait for it to happen. So a lot of companies in Silicon Valley, for instance, have deliberately built their companies, you know, the architecture, and, and Apple's a good example of this, the building itself is, is created with the desire that there's the maximum flow of different people from different disciplines all coming, you know, and mixing together at various points in the day, rather than the, o the old model, which, you know, when I started in advertising, all the different departments were arranged on different floors of the, um, uh, of the, of, of the building. Um, and, and it was almost designed so that people wouldn't mix with each other. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, smart companies are realizing that mixing is what creates these sort of happy accidents. And I wish they'd do that a little bit more in perhaps Western medicine and mix the specialties up so mm -hmm. they actually talk to each other a bit. <laughs> yes, well, that, <laughs> that's that, another story. <laughs> I can I can imagine. I'm sure it occurs in all all industries. Really, it's the mm. uh, and and actually, I was thinking that science is a great example of where often somebody can be working on one task, you know, trying to explore a I don't know an arthritis drug or something like that, and then they end up discovering something completely unrelated that they weren't thinking about it turns out to be a you know a, 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 some a, a cure for parkinson's or a, something that will help heart disease or something like that some of the best products you know of all time have been you know kellogg's cornflakes was an experiment that they were really trying to find a way to make granola and it went wrong they didn't get the um the, the cooking method right and they ended up with this flaky thing but rather than throw it in the bin they thought oh actually this these corn flakes, let's call them, um, turn out to be pretty tasty. And let's, even though we weren't looking for them and we've stumbled on them, uh, let's uh, explore whether they're uh, commercially viable um, instead. And, and so I think you're right. It's not, sometimes we, if we slavishly follow a brief and then discard anything that isn't exactly what we're looking for, then by definition, we get predictable results. But in a lot of fields of life and business is one, doing something that's unpredictable is a really good thing. I'm really intrigued in, from your research in the book you've written, do you think you can teach someone how to be lucky? 
absolutely. And, and actually, there are people who do this. So my, my book is really focused on uh, organizations rather than individuals. But some of the learnings I took were from people who have taught individual people to be lucky. And there's a, for instance, there's a fantastic um, psychologist called Richard Wiseman who uh, who has a great experiment that I think is relevant to organizations. And in brief, what he does is he, he asks people whether they identify as lucky or unlucky most of the time. And then he gets them to read a newspaper and count how many photographs there are in the newspaper. And what happens is that the lucky people uh, are uh, finish the task in a couple of seconds. And the people who say that they're unlucky can take quite a lot longer, you know, several minutes. So it's a huge difference. And the reason is that on page two, he, he puts a little advert saying, yeah, you can stop counting now. There's actually 42 photographs in this newspaper. You know, just claim your money and you can go home. And he makes the point, which I think is relevant to business, which is that um, sometimes when you say someone that is lucky, it, all it really means is that they are focused on the task at hand. They have their heads down doing the thing that they've been told to do. Uh, sorry, when that's somebody who's unlucky. Um, somebody who's lucky, um, you know, will, will do the task, but also will have their eyes open and spot things in their peripheral vision um, that uh, may be outside of the task that they've been given. And, and so if you extrapolate that to businesses, I think that's where, you know, um, you can teach individuals or you can teach companies to have a better peripheral vision, not to be quite so task oriented, but to think what can we learn from another culture? What can we learn from another, you know, industry or another discipline, um, you know, another s aspect of life, music, sport, you know, um, psychology and so on. And, you know, at the moment, I think because, of course, times are a bit tough, we've all probably had our heads down in the newspaper, if you like, you know, counting the photographs and maybe we should... Um, uh, you know, just have our awareness of all those opportunities that might be around us that weren't in the original brief. You've written a book called Go Luck Yourself and it's now out, so mine's coming through the post any day. I'm looking forward to reading it. You've chosen to donate the profits of your book to an organisation called Commercial Break and I just wondered if you could explain why and what that's about. Yeah, so all the royalties are going to Commercial Break because they're they're an organisation that helps working class uh, kids get a lucky break in the uh, into the creative industries, and um, I guess it goes back to my original uh, point about why I wrote this book. A part of it was because I was very conscious that I've had a nice long life in uh, advertising. Um, I have prospered, and I've I've got that. I guess what is what has turned out to be a lucky demographic because I'm an older white uh, straight male and I'm just sort of conscious that a lot of other people haven't had that lucky um start necessarily in life um and I feel that one of the one of the things again this is a an eastern concept that is now increasingly sort of accepted in the west as an a, an actual scientifically proven fact um th is that you know karma does exist and that um if you share luck you know, then, you know, luck begets more luck. So I thought there was something nice about writing a, a book about luck that might also bring some luck to other um, people. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, working class kids is, is certainly sort of a demographic that, uh, you know, are, are underrepresented in um, our industry. Um, so I, f I felt that they could perhaps um, do with a helping hand. 
Absolutely. And I'm wondering, do the kids find them or do they seek out the kids? Do you know how that works? I'm just intrigued, really. Yeah, no, they're really good. So they um, find people who might um, might not have traditional sort of career path, but are interested. You know, there's so much creativity um, that is not of the sort that is that has traditionally been um, you know, recognized by uh, advertising companies. Um, and uh, and so they have a sort of a disadvantage from the start. Um, but, you know, look at all the amazing stuff that is being done at the moment on things like TikTok yeah. um, or all sorts of other sort of platforms that is not of the, the the kind that I've been doing over the last sort of 20 years. And they've got lots to teach me as well as hopefully um, things that I could perhaps teach them. Yeah, and I think what was an unheard voice, now everybody absolutely has a voice. I think that's really exciting. Yes, yes, I do. And again, that's, you know, as well as the moral aspect of that, if I'm honest, I mean, again, that is a way of increasing your luck as a business, because there's been countless experiments showing that when you have a more diverse team, not only is it the the right thing to do, but it, it just inevitably makes your ideas much better because you're drawing on a much wider pool of interesting stimuli. So, um, yeah, it's 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 just a really commercially sensible thing to do as well as an ethically right thing to do. In your book, you've drawn out four really important themes. And I'm going to be really mean. I'm not going to tell the listeners what they are. I'm going to suggest that we all go and buy your book to find out what these are. But I did have one final point, which I wondered whether you'd be happy to comment on, which is we all know how powerful advertising is and in my opinion with power comes responsibility and I'm really hopeful that these kinds of conversations inspire a bit more of a shift towards being transparent on this kind in the commercial world which I view and I'm not in it to be under a lot of pressure to perform and deliver and I wondered whether to conclude you had any thoughts on that Andy. Yes, very much so. I mean, I think there's a growing awareness of that responsibility. I I do believe in the power of advertising. Otherwise, you know, what would I be doing in my job? And um, and then I think that does require you to reflect and, and realise the effect you can have on, you know, um, people's views of themselves and their bodies and their lives and their, you know, the colour of their skin and all sorts of other things as they grow up. And we mustn't minimise that. And with the rise of social media and, and various other factors, people are now so much more uh, familiar and au fait with how advertising works that they they are more interested in what, what goes on behind the scenes. You know, you can't just pretend that your brand is all about one thing um, and, and cover up the fact that the actual reality of working for the company or what it does in another part of the world that might be very different. So you, your your actions have now got to live up to your message. And um, I think part of the responsibility of, of advertising now is to make sure that there's a that there's a fit there and that we're not just creating a dream that hides a sort of a, a less dreamlike um, truth. We, the, we, the, the truth and the dream have got to be aligned, I think. Yes. So it's that transparency again, isn't it, really, and being authentic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. And people, people like authenticity. People like brands that they feel have got their sort of values in common and that they can, you know, they've got a sort of a shared um, sense of purpose with. We have much more power than we think about 
changing perhaps our destiny and what life might look like. None of us really know what it might look like, but we can certainly be a bit more conscious about the directions we take and the choices we make. And I think what I'm hearing from you is keep opening new doors, keep exploring, keep looking outside the box. Would that be right? I think that's exactly right. And and I think, you, you, you know, that word mindful or conscious is, is really crucial because there is this long lasting, as I say, Victorian legacy where people say there's no such thing as luck. But I think if you're mindful of your luck and you're conscious of how lucky you have been, if you have been lucky, or if you appreciate that you have had some bad luck, but you're going to you know work hard to turn it around, I think you're, you're much, much, much more able to improve your luck if you are conscious of it and accept that it does exist as a force in life, then if you just you know pretend it doesn't exist and there's no such thing. That's great. Thank you very much, Andy. I really, really appreciate your time. It's been a fascinating conversation and it's given me lots of ideas for, for moving forwards as well. Thank you very much. It's been really interesting for me too. Where do we go from here, Carl? That's the question, isn't it? Well, do you know one of the things that I think I'm going to take away Uh, from that conversation that I was listening to was the part where he described um, how someone would test how lucky people are in an organisation by giving them a newspaper. I just thought that was a wonderful illustration about when someone gives an instruction, think beyond the instruction, widen the parameters. I really love that. That really resonated with me. Yes. And I think we have to do that in every single part of our life. Well, I think why wouldn't we, given given the evidence he's given us, why wouldn't we then keep noticing the little things? And use them. Yeah. When you when you see something that you think is an opportunity, take that opportunity when you can. Yeah. 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 Very, very positive message, I think. Next time, we're keeping the same format. I've got another really inspirational guest called Nick Haynes who is part of what's called the No Boxes movement. And we're going to talk about boxed thinking. So I think that follows on quite nicely from today and I'm not going to say anything more. You've been listening to East Meds West. Subscribe to be notified about future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Submit comments and questions via Twitter at Cycles of Change or email chat at drcarolynedelston.com. Hold up. 